There is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. Wonderful meeting this morning. How many of you were here this morning? Good. So what book of the Bible are we in, church? That's good. If you said anything else, I was going to be very disappointed. Let's open our Bible to the book of Ecclesiastes again, to Ecclesiastes chapter number 3. We're going back to the same portion of Scripture. How many of you read it today? Would you raise your hand? You read Ecclesiastes 3? That's great. And I'm going to ask you to read it again before tomorrow night. By the way, don't try reading it all while I'm preaching tonight. It doesn't count if it's in this room, all right? You have to do it on your own time, at your house. Uh, but we're going to come right back to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 again tomorrow evening. And by the way, I know what tomorrow is. What is tomorrow, church? Yeah, you sound really excited about it, too. It is Monday. And I understand what first of the week uh, days are like and school and work and all of that. But I want you to make every effort, every effort to try to be here tomorrow evening. And uh, I'm just praying God will speak to us in all these evening meetings. Now look at Ecclesiastes 3. And we began today with verse number 11. He, our God, hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he hath set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. And I talked to you this morning about eternity. God has deposited a little bit of his nature his eternity in you. And we're made, of course, in the image of God. We have an eternal constitution, an eternal soul. And so that's really what he's talking about. He puts the world in their heart. But I want to back up to the verses that lead up to verse number 11 tonight. We're going to study these together, and I want you to follow along as I read. Ecclesiastes 3 and verse number 1, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. And then he begins an amazing list. In fact, if you look at it, it's like a pendulum. You ever see a pendulum that swings from one extreme to the other? This is all the extremes of life. How many of you know life is full of extremes? In every direction. Look at the extremes here. There, there are 14 different illustrations. Look at it beginning in verse number 2. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. 
What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? I have seen, Solomon says, the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. When you're little children, young, starting out, you're full of the idealism of youth. How many of you can remember that? <laughs> you know, we have this idea that life's going to be perfect and everything's going to go exactly like we planned and it doesn't go that way, does it, church? In fact, let's just be blunt for a minute. Sometimes you get sucker punched with life, slapped in the face with reality. You get the wind knocked out of you. You start to realize this is, this is challenging. In fact, I'm looking at a room full of people tonight who are at varying ages and varying stages in life. And all of us are living through some one of these seasons, some one of these extremes. I don't know exactly where you are. In recent days, I have been to the graveside of a loved one, put a body there, uh, thought, I look forward to seeing her again. Uh, later this year, my wife and I are expecting our first grandbaby. We're really excited about that. We're joining the club this year. We're looking forward to it. Is there, is there a wide swing from the grave to the birthing room? You better believe it. But life is full of both. I must tell you, as I read this list again tonight, right here with you, it just dawned on me as I was reading the list, life just changes. It's like ping pong, isn't it? It's back and forth. It's good and bad and everything in between. But watch this. There is one thing that never changes. You know what that is, right? That's the Lord that never changes. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. Uh, somebody said, all may change, but Jesus never glory to his name. And I must tell you tonight, at this stage in my life, I am resting more and more in the fact that in a changing world and a changing body and changing life and changing circumstances, our God never changes. I guess it's stage of life. I don't know. Call me old. I'll be 47 this year. But I guess it's stage of life. I'm starting to think more about the ending than I did the beginning. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? I'm starting to look more at the finish line than I am the starting blocks. And, and it's not a morbid thing for me. I really i am not depressed about it. But life is changing. The seasons of life are changing. My wife and I have been married for a quarter of a century now, and I thank God for her. <laughs> she, uh, she's from Michigan, and uh, she got saved and moved south. It was a beautiful thing. And so uh, she and I met in Bible college, and uh, we've been married for 25 years. Got married on Friday the 13th, Pastor. It's the luckiest day of my life, let me tell you. And we have three children. All of them look like their mother. Praise God for that. Morgan is married, and uh, she and Isaac are expecting this baby later this year. Lauren is 20 now. And our youngest, the baby of the family, is graduating from high school. Our son graduated from high school this year. And frankly, I'm looking at my life. I'm looking at our home. I'm looking at our children and I'm thinking, how did I get this old this quickly? How did this happen? And yet it is a stark reminder to me that the seasons of life are always changing. Do you have a favorite season? How many of you would say spring is? Would you raise your hand? Any spring people love the spring of life? Yeah, a few of you. How many of you would say summer is your favorite season? That's really interesting. All the kids raised their hands just now. How many would say fall? That's probably my favorite, I think, especially living in the mountains. How many would say winter? Would you raise your hand? There's always a few reprobates among us. I want you to know that. 
Uh, we all have favorite seasons, don't we? And I want to tell you what's true in the year is true in life. There are certain seasons you just love more than others. But you can't stay in spring forever, I'm sorry. And praise God you don't stay in winter forever. The seasons come and the seasons go. And in every season of life, God provides what the earth needs and prepares the earth for the next season. And in every season of your Christian experience, God is working even in the winter time when you think life is gone and nothing is good. The Lord is working beneath the surface and behind the scenes and he's getting you ready for the next season of your life. I'm speaking tonight on this subject, seeing God in the seasons of life. A lot of people are endure, enduring the seasons of life. They're not enjoying it. And I'm going to tell you why. They're not enjoying the seasons of life because they not have not learned to enjoy the Lord in the midst of the season. Frankly, there are some seasons I like more than others. There are certain days I enjoy more than others. There are some circumstances I would choose more than others. But I love what Paul said. He said, I know, I know both how to be abased and how to abound. I know how to be full. I know how to be hungry. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed. Why? Because he had learned that Christ was his sufficiency. And I want to tell you that the secret to the victorious life is learning to see God in every season of life. Let me just show you what I'm talking about. We're coming back. Mark your place. Put your hand here. Don't lose your spot. Go back to the book of Genesis with me for just a moment, would you please? Let's go all the way back to the first page of the Bible. Did you know the word seasons is found in some 65 verses of the Bible? I'm not going to show you all of them tonight, praise God, but let me show you a handful of them. Look at the first, Genesis chapter 1. Where did the seasons come from? Look at verse number 14. God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. Look at the last half of Genesis 1 verse 14. And let them be for signs and for what? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. For signs and for what? Mark it in your Bible, please. Underline that in your Bible. Where did the seasons come from? You tell me. Where did they come from? God set the seasons. The Creator is the one who set the seasons of the world. In other words, this is not random. This is not accidental. This is not bad luck. This is not coincidence. This is not just the way it fell to you. No, no. There is a God in heaven who is just as active in this world today as he was the day he spoke it all into existence. And I want to tell you something, what I believe about God. My God is the God who sets the seasons of life. Go to the book of Daniel with me just a minute. This amazing book of prophecy. And I'll show you a unique parallel. Look at Daniel chapter 2. Daniel speaking about God. He's worshiping, really, is what he's doing. Look at Daniel chapter 2 and verse number 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And look at verse number 21, Daniel 2, 21. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. I want to just pause and say, praise God. God not only knows, God has everything under control. The God who created the seasons is the God who changes the seasons. Let me show you one more. Go to the New Testament. Look at the book of Acts for just a minute. Christ has just ascended and Acts chapter 1, this is at the ascension, on the Mount of Ascension. 
Look what Jesus says to them in Acts 1 and verse number 7. They're asking questions. Lord, when are you going to set up your kingdom? And when are you going to take care of Rome? And when are you going to bring to, to pass all the promises to Israel? And I love his answer. Look at Acts 1 verse 7. See, we like to jump to verse 8. We like to talk about the power. Well, look at verse 7 first. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. If I was God, by the way, you should be glad I'm not God, and I'm glad you're not God. If we were God, we'd make an everlasting mess of everything. Did you know that? But God, who is God, praise his holy name. The God who spoke the world into existence and created seasons to start with. The God who changes the seasons and knows exactly what he's doing in this world. Who rules the good and overrules the evil. Who maketh even the wrath of men to praise him and the remainder he restrains. That God says there's some things I'm not going to tell you right now. There's some things you're not going to see plainly now. There's some things you're just not going to understand now. But know this, God has the times and the seasons securely under his own power. By the way, did you ever think about the difference between times and seasons? We're going to come back to those two words in just a minute. But in Daniel and in Acts 1, you look at the phrase. It says the times and the seasons, the times or the seasons. Why is that? Are they not the same thing? No, if it's the same thing, then no sense using two different words. Would you like to know the difference between times and seasons? Look up here just a minute. Time is linear. It's like this. It's like on a line. We, we mark time, you see. We live in time. We, we live on this line from birth to death. It's linear. Seasons are not that way. My grandpa was a, was a farmer in the hills of West Virginia. We grew up on a farm and had a garden every year. And I learned something about seasons. And there was, a, there was a planting season and there was a harvesting season and there were other seasons in between that work had to be done. And I learned something. Seasons do not always perfectly match time. Look, time is linear. Seasons are cyclical. Please don't miss this. You may understand where you're living in time right now, what year it is and what day it is and how old you are and, and where in the scheme of life you are. You may understand a little bit about time, but only God understands perfectly the seasons of our life. You don't choose them. You don't create them. You can't change them. Some things are in God's hands alone. And the sooner we learn that, the better off we all are going to be. With that in mind, go back with me now to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Let me give you some truths from these verses tonight. Would you write them down? I'd like you to take out a pen and write them down somewhere so you can meditate on them when we leave tonight. I want you to remember this. It all comes straight from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Here's the first. Number one, I want you to write down that everything has a season. Did I say everything? Everything. And I didn't really originate that. No, that's not new with me. Look at verse number one. To everything there is a season. Everything in life works on seasons. The world calls them cycles. The Bible word is seasons. In fact, if we had time, you could go through the entire Bible and see all the things that God connects to seasons. For example, the pleasure of sin, Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 25, lasts only for a what, church? Season. For the record, those seasons get shorter and shorter too. The psalmist said this in Psalm 145, 15, The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. God's provision comes always in perfect season. Psalm 1 verse 3 says that the man that delights in the law of the Lord will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water who bringeth forth his fruit in his season. So the blessings of obedience are connected to seasons. Temptations come in seasons. 
Luke chapter 4, verse number 13. You remember when the Lord Jesus had endured that 40-day temptation? Now, this is fascinating to me. The Bible says that Satan departed from him, don't miss this, for a season. See, I used to think, well, Jesus had that one temptation. You really think that's the only time Christ ever faced the tempter? I want you to know, life is full of temptations, full of problems. If you think you're going to resist the tempter one day and he's going to leave you alone, I got some bad news for you. He may leave you alone for a few days. He's coming back around the other side. Temptation always comes back. There are seasons of temptation in life. Suffering is set up on this structure of seasons. First Peter chapter 1, verse number 6, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. Reaping comes in season. Galatians 6, verse 9, let us not be weary in well-doing. In due season we shall reap if we faint not. Proverbs 15, 21 says, a word spoken in due season, how good it is. Everything in our world operates on seasons. There's a second truth I want you to write down. It comes from verse 1. Look at it. Not only is it true that everything has a season, but every season has a time. There's a start time and there's an ending time. There's a begin and there's a conclusion. And only God knows exactly what that is. In fact, it may interest you to know, I think my math is right, I counted this again earlier this afternoon, but the word time is found 30 times in this one chapter, 30 times. I don't know how it was at your house, at our house. If my mama said it once, we were supposed to listen. All God's mother said amen to that. If she said it twice, we were really supposed to listen. If she said it three times, it was too late to listen. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? So when God repeats himself 30 times, it's not because he forgot he said it the first time. It's because there's something there he doesn't want us to forget that he said. Look, you are living on time, and everything in your life has a season, and every season has a time, and guess who's in charge of the time? The God who set it all in motion to start with. Israel, Israel, you're going to go into this captivity, and you're going to be there for several hundred years, but I want you to know that right on time, the Lord's going to send a deliverer, and he's going to deliver you from that. They probably thought he'd completely forgotten about him, but he hadn't. Because God is a God of perfect timing. He's never early and he's never late. Our God is always right on time. When did Jesus come into this world? Galatians 4 verse 4 says, When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. I say again, God's timing is always perfect. And there are moments in life when you're looking at your life and you're saying like the psalmist did, How long, Lord? How much longer do you answer this prayer? How much longer do you fix this situation? How much longer do you save my loved one? How much longer do you give me an answer? How much longer, Lord? I want you to know that the God of perfect timing has not forsaken you. He has not failed you. He has not forgotten you. He knows exactly where you are. He has every hair on your head numbered. His eye is on you. His ear is open to your cry. God holds you in the palm of his hand. He knows your frame and remembers that you're dust. And the God of seasons and time is still at work in this world. And there are moments in life when like Joseph, you sit in the prison. Or like Daniel, you sit in the den of lions. Or like Paul and Silas, you sit in the jail in the middle of the night and wonder where God is. I came to tell you on the authority of the word of God that God's timing is always right. And for the record, Jesus is coming back. When's he coming back? Right on time. Now, I don't know what that time is, but it's already circled on God's calendar in heaven. 
And as surely as Isaiah says that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. May I just tell you, God's timetable, look, he uses different math than we do. His timetable is far higher than ours. So everything has a season. Every season has a time. Please don't miss this. Number three, every time has a purpose. Now this is actually the whole thing in this passage. Look at verse 1. Everything there's a season and a time to every, would you mark it, purpose under the heaven. I want you to know that God is at work. Please don't miss the phrase under the heaven. God is at work not only in heaven. God is at work under the heaven. It's easy right now to watch the news and think the world's spinning out of control and the devil's having a heyday and wicked men are doing their thing and you think, what on earth is going on? We're going to talk more about that tomorrow night in the evening meeting. But may I just say to you tonight that our God at this moment is fulfilling his divine purpose in this world. That phrase, under the heaven, literally means life on earth. Now, sadly enough, when Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he had a little skewed perspective at it all. He had grown a little cynical and sour because he was only seeing what was going on on earth. He had gotten a little off kilter with the Lord. So you've got to keep God in, in view. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I say to you, the God of seasons and time is the God of perfect purpose. God's plan has not been thwarted. The gates of hell will not stop the advancement of his church. The Holy Spirit is still moving in this world. Christ is still accomplishing his plan. And it is time for God's people to say, we believe the divine purpose is being fulfilled and we want to get in on that. Every time that you are going through is fulfilling some great purpose of God in your life. Come down with me, would you please? Look at verse number 11. We read this this morning. Here's what he does. Here's his purpose. He's going to make everything beautiful in his time. How many of you know sin is a very ugly thing? There's a lot of ugly in this world. Can we agree with that? You know why there's so much ugly in this world? This one's got potential, right? Do you know why there's so much ugly in this world? Because we are fallen creatures surrounded by other fallen creatures living on a fallen planet. But I want you to know sin makes everything ugly, but Jesus makes everything beautiful. I wish, I really wish I could just put like parallel tracks in your mind. The book of Ecclesiastes and the cry of Solomon right alongside the gospel records and the fulfillment of Jesus. I want you to know that everything Solomon hungered for, Jesus came to fulfill. That everything Solomon cried out for, Jesus came to bring. There is fulfillment and joy and gladness and purpose found in the Lord Jesus Christ. It makes it all beautiful. We'll come to this verse tomorrow night, but look at verse 14. I know whatever God does, it shall be forever. God's purpose is to make everything perfect, to do an eternal work. Let me just tell you, there's a whole lot I don't know, but I love this. I can know him. There are things I cannot answer for you, church, but I'll tell you what I'm discovering at this juncture on my journey, that though there are things hidden from my understanding, God's great purpose, please don't miss this now, God's great purpose is not for you to know everything. God's great purpose is for you to know him. God's purpose is not for you to have all the answers to all the questions. God's purpose is for you to intimately, personally know the God who does know the answers. Do you know what real revival is? Revival is when God's people get awake to who God is again. That's right. 
It's not when you figure it all out. It's not when you fix all the situations. That's not what revival is. Revival is when we get to the place where, like Solomon, we throw our hands up in the air and say, Lord, it's all vanity. It's all vexation of spirit. We need you. And I think heaven must applaud at that moment. And God says, good, I've been waiting for you to get there for a little while. Because when you get to the end of yourself, you come to the beginning of him. Oh, I love this. Sin will lead you to a dead end. It will. Sin will lead you right to a wall. You hit a wall and you can't go any further. I want you to know, God didn't lead you to a wall. He leads you to an open door. God is the God of new beginnings. Solomon, hurry up and get to the end of the story. Hurry up and get to Ecclesiastes 12. Get to the conclusion of the whole matter and understand this is not all there is. You may not be able to figure all this out. Isn't it interesting? That Solomon is the wisest man outside the Lord Jesus who was the incarnation of wisdom. He's the wisest man that ever lived, and yet he still had lots of questions. If you're waiting for all the questions to be answered and all the puzzles to be put in place and all the things to be straightened out in your thinking, you're going to be a very disillusioned, disappointed, discouraged human being. But if you can realize that God is God, he's got the season under control, he's got the time on his calendar, and he is fulfilling his purpose, you can learn to rest in him. This is something that seven and a half years ago God brought me to. For nearly 20 years, we, we served in a wonderful, wonderful church and college place where your pastor and his wife were trained and loved every minute of it. Thought we'd be there the rest of our lives. Had every intention of that. Everybody else expected that. And I'm just telling you, life was comfortable. We were comfortable. We were happy. And about seven and a half years ago, the season changed. I mean, just like that. Not externally, internally. Have you lived long enough to understand what I'm talking about? It wasn't that the people changed or the job changed. Something was changing in me and God was the one in charge of it. The Lord unsettled me. I remember the Lord started stirring in my heart about what I'm doing now. I wish I could tell you I just jumped up and said, Yes, sir, Lord, looking forward to it. I didn't. I argued with God. Did you know that's not an argument you can win? And I remember that season of my life I was troubled. I remember Tammy and I would take a day each week and fast and pray. We're just trying to find God's mind. Lord, what are you doing? And Why are we going through this disruption? And What will the future hold? How are we going to live? And on and on and on and on. Somebody said, did you get all your questions answered? Mm -mm, no. I'm going to tell you what happened. God brought us to himself. And in that season when God brought me to himself, I can't explain this any other way, the Bible opened up to me. Prayer became alive. My faith became more than something I talked about to other people. Suddenly, it became the very breath I breathed every day. It's wonderful. And you know what I observe in my travels? I meet a lot of lost people who need Jesus, but I meet a lot of saved people that need to get to where Solomon had to get to. In fact, let me just show you something. Would you look back at verse number 10? He said, I have seen the travail. Circle the word travail in your Bible, would you please? Did you know that's the only, this book is the only place where this word is used? It's the only place in Ecclesiastes, the travail. Do you know what the word travail here means? Somebody says, yeah, it means work. Well, it does mean work, but it doesn't just mean work. It means work to the point of exhaustion. How many of you have ever worked to the point of exhaustion? Would you raise your hand? 
You know what I'm talking about. Where you get in the house and you just almost barely even get to the bed. You know, you may not even make it quite that far. And you just collapse somewhere because you're just spent. You've given out on it. Look, please. He's not talking about going to work and getting there. He's talking about living his life and getting there. I'm going to tell you what I'm observing in lots of places where I travel. I'm meeting a lot of saved people who are exhausted. They're spent mentally and emotionally and spiritually. To use an old term, they're sucking wind. They're, they're just trying to live another day and pay the bills and raise the kids and get through life and they're perfectly miserable doing it and do you know why because they're trying to control the seasons and they're trying to figure out the time and they're trying to get their purpose done and I came to tell you tonight it's only when you see that God is the God of the seasons and the time and the purpose and you yield to him that you find any rest and any fulfillment everything else will suck the life right out of you it'll drain you of all purpose and joy I'm going to tell you something. Only one thing can put the joy back in you, and that is when God has his rightful place. You don't believe me? You don't have to believe me. Believe Solomon. Listen to him. Look at him standing along the road of life and saying, Look, look, don't go down that road. I've been down that road already. The bridge is out. Don't, don't follow that path. Come over this way. Come over this way. Come to the Lord. Get, get close to God. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Look to Jesus, because only in Jesus can you find real fulfillment in the midst of this life. You must learn to see God in every season. One more. Would you write it down, please? Everything has a season. Every season has a time. Every time has a purpose. And number four, every purpose demands a response. Every divine purpose demands a human response. In other words, you've got to decide how you're going to respond to God. And nobody else can decide that for you. You must choose that for yourself. And you know the tragedy of Ecclesiastes 3? Now, there's a lot of truth in Ecclesiastes 3, but I want to tell you the tragedy of Ecclesiastes 3. In Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon got a glimpse of eternity, got a good long look at a miserable life that he was living, and you know what his conclusion was? Look, please, at verse number uh, 12. I know there's no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and do good in his life, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor it's the gift of God in other words I guess I'm just going to live and, and eat and drink and go to work and do my thing may I just say to you that's the short look not the long look you got to look beyond yourself beyond this world beyond this life to see God in the midst of the seasons of life may I ask you tonight what is the prime of life if I said to you are you in the prime of life <laughs> sometimes I meet people uh, people up in years and they'll say to me, well, you know, preacher, my best days are behind me. And I use a good West Virginia theological term to them. I say hogwash. That's a good word, you know. Hogwash. They say, what do you mean? And I say, are you a Christian? Oh, yes, I'm a Christian. Brother, the greatest day you're ever going to live is the day you see Jesus face to face. So I got good news for you tonight. Your best days are still ahead of you. If you know the Lord, your best day is still ahead of you. I ask again, what's the prime of life? You look at teenagers and you think, oh, they got their whole life ahead of them. You look at these young married couples. My wife and I were talking the other day. Our oldest now married and getting ready to have a baby. And we're watching and observing and remembering, you know, seasons of our life. And now seeing it reproduced in our children. And you think about all these seasons. And you see people at what you think is their strength. And you say, they're in the prime of life. I like what my pastor used to say. He said, the prime of life is any time in life when you're in the center of the will of God. I'm looking across an audience tonight of people, different ages, different backgrounds, different circumstances, different situations, different seasons. 
And I came to say to everybody in this room tonight, at this moment, you can be in the prime of your life. At this moment. You say, oh, not me. Oh, yes. At this moment, you can be in the prime of life if at this moment you can pause long enough to realize it is God who is at work in this season of your life. And I got good news for you tonight. Are you ready for this? God never wastes a season. There's not a single day God ever wasted. I'm testifying now. I've wasted a lot of days. Anybody else wasted days? But God, blessed be his holy name, has never wasted a single day of my life. And I don't know who I'm preaching to tonight, but I know this. There's some people in this room who are wondering, where's God in this? Where is God in this? That's what faith is, friend. When you can't see him, when you can't hear him, when you can't understand him, when you can't even feel him, you must believe at that moment that God who set the seasons and governs the time and fulfills the purpose is at work in your life. And you say, yes, Lord, whatever you want at this season, that's all I want. Do you know the name Adoniram Judson? Adoniram Judson, missionary to Burma, famous, famous, uh, Myanmar, that part of the world. Did you know he was not a Baptist when he got on the boat to go to the mission field? Funny story. He ended up being a Baptist, but he went under a different denominational persuasion. And in the good providence of God, don't you love how the Lord does things? God put a Baptist on board the boat with he and his wife. And they studied the Bible all the way over. And when he landed, he got baptized by immersion because he hadn't been baptized by immersion. And he wrote back to his denomination and resigned and said, I can't represent you anymore. Became a Baptist on the boat right over here. True story. And he started preaching the gospel all over Burma. And people were getting saved. It was a great season. It was a great season. And then they arrested him. And the season changed. And they beat him. And they tortured him. And they imprisoned him for long periods of time. And it was a long, dark season. Anne came to see him, his wife. They let her in. I, I think they thought probably that she would talk him out of this nonsense, you know. They didn't know she had as strong a faith as, as he did. When she got in that prison cell, her husband was hanging by his thumbs from the ceiling, almost out of consciousness. She broke down and began to weep. And I roused himself and saw her standing there and asked her, why are you here? She took a piece of paper out of her pocket and she said, she unfolded, it was a letter. She said, the mission agency back home has written you a letter. They said they haven't heard from you in a while. They need you to send a report and tell them how things are progressing here in Burma. Those kind of things always come just when you don't need them, don't they? And Adnar Judson, hanging by his thumbs in that prison cell, smiled and said, you write them and tell them that the future here is as bright as the promises of God. Within three hours, he was released from that prison cell. Went on to evangelize Burma with the gospel. He's one of my favorite people to read after. Maybe four years ago, I was preaching in lower Alabama. People in Alabama need Jesus. Did you know that? And we were having a singles conference. We were in a kind of a high school auditorium. place was packed with single adults from all over the southeast. Pastor, I'm standing on the platform next to this pastor that was hosting the meeting, and I looked over, and there was this very enthusiastic group of college-age young people, all with matching T-shirts on. 
And I said to the pastor, tell me about this group over here. He said, I don't know. He said, they're from a major university in Florida. They, they heard about our conference and called and asked if they could bring a group. And he said, they all drove up together. And he said, man, they're just on fire for God. I mean, he said, they're stirred up about serving the Lord, students on a secular campus. The next day, we were having our meals there at the property. And I went into the cafeteria where we were having our meals and got my food and looked around for a seat. And there was one seat open at their table. They, they all had different matching T-shirts on. They were all right there together. And I went over and I said, look, I, I know I don't have the T-shirt, but could I sit with you? And they let me sit down and we chit-chatted for a little bit. And I was involved in university ministry years and years ago in Knoxville. And so it interested me. And so I said to the student leader, I said, would you please tell me about your student organization? And he told me a little bit about it and what they were doing to evangelize their campus. I said, that's amazing. And I said, would you tell me how it got started? He paused for a minute and looked at me and he said, you ever heard of Adoniram Judson? I said, you mean the missionary to Burma? His face lit up like he was surprised I would know who he was. And he said, oh yeah, that's the one. And I said, yeah, I know about Adoniram Judson. I said, what's he have to do with it? He said, well, in a really indirect way, he started our student group. I said, now, time out just a second, because he's been dead for a long time. I'd like to know how this happened. To my dying day, I don't think I'll forget what that young man said to me. He said, there was a young man, a Burmese young man, whose great, 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 great grandparents had been personally led to the Lord and discipled by Adoniram Judson who was so excited that he had the privilege to come to our great Christian nation to study. When he got to America, to Florida, this massive university, he had a hard time finding a Christian. There were no churches active on the campus. There were no Bible study groups that he could find. Nobody pray. And this young man from Burma said, if there are no believers here, I will let God use me. Think of this. Talk about how things come full circle. And he became a missionary to that university campus. And that young man started the Bible study group that all these young people now were a part of. And he got there because the future was just as bright as all the promises of God. When I'm listening to this story, I thought immediately, Pastor, immediately, I could see Adoniram Judson hanging in that prison cell saying those words. And I thought to myself, do you think Adoniram Judson had any idea in his mind that God was going to use him not just to accomplish something in Burma, but then because of that, somebody's going to go from Burma back to America and be used of God to evangelize there? I have little idea that he, he that ever crossed his mind. But here's what I know. Look, please. No season lasts forever, but in each season, God is preparing fruit for the next season. And if you want the harvest in the next season, you've got to let God do the deep work in your heart in this season. You must learn to see God in this season of your life. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church in your area this Sunday. 
thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey Daily Devotional Podcast each Monday through Friday.